and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with stand-up comedian Charmaine Davis. So, hey, Charmaine, how are you today? I'm very well. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. So, we usually start by talking about childhood of various comedians. So, what were you like yeah. as a kid? I'm, I'm guessing that you were quite quite loud, maybe? No, not at all. No, far from wow. it. No, when I was the opposite end of the spectrum. Absolutely. I was an only child. Um, I had a few friends, but didn't have many friends. My mum, because when I was only a child, she sent me off to uh, Chadsworth Stage School, not because she wanted me to be a pretentious little showbiz child, but because she wanted me to make friends. And also it would be, you know, doing dancing and things like that, are really good disciplines. Yeah. Um, standing posture and all that kind of stuff. Not, not just to be a showbiz star. I mean, that was the least, I mean, gosh, she wishes I had a proper job now. <laughs> she, she started this. And now she's like, well, what, what, you know, you should get a proper job. And I'm like, this is a proper job. <laughs> but I uh, started it at a very young age. Uh, it was her fault. At the age of two and a half, I was at Chadsworth Stage School. So now I was very shy. I was very shy. And right. um, yeah, I wouldn't say boo to a goose, really. Um, and yeah, no, I was a very introverted child. I, like I say, didn't have, I played with my dolls. I had, I was a bit, bit, bit weird actually, because I really liked old fashioned toys rather than the, the, the Weebles or whatever, Cindy's yeah, or Barbie's. Yeah, yeah. Weebles. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, no, so I would save my pocket money. Uh, and when I say save, I'd have to save a lot because it's not like I've got a fortune. And I would go and buy China dolls and wooden uh, antique stuff. And I would, I would sort of have little tea parties with my my, my China dolls. Um, and that way I've still got them, actually, to this day. They're probably worth a fortune. <laughs> there's my pen, because I'm not going to get one doing comedy. But um, yeah, no, so there's my China doll collection. So yeah, I played with dolls and stuff. I really wasn't outgoing. I was very, very shy. Um, it was only later in life that I sort of realised that I had to be a bit more outspoken and I think life kicks you in the teeth sometimes and it makes you get a bit angry <laughs> <laughs> and, and you and I'm like oh, I'm not putting up with this nonsense anymore I'm not going to be walked over I'm not going to be treated like a fool and and that's where I was sort of and inside I mean I watch myself doing stand-up now and I just think who's that because that isn't really me I think at most comedians it's an extension of themselves yeah yeah it's not, it's not their true self it's not their true self I would think anybody in show business you know, as much as we sort of talk on podcasts and say this, that and the other, you know, it's only our close friends and family that know the truth yeah. self. Um, so, yeah, I, I do look at myself on videos now and go, how did I do that? How did I stand in front of all those people and, and tell jokes? Because, I mean, when I go home, I'm, sure, ooh, I'm like that little girl again that has no yeah. friends. <laughs> it's crazy seeing your, you know, I haven't seen your stand up. That'd be the furthest thing that you'd think. People always go, oh, but you're so outgoing, you're so loud. But that's just the persona. And I think a lot of, yes, I mean, I'm not one of these part of, I suppose I used to go clubbing and all that when I was a kid or younger, not a kid, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, I used to have fun then, but quite honestly, I always say I do, you know, a lot of shows in the week and then I run out of personality and then just <laughs> <hide."> <laughs> And then I hide back in my little cave again until it's time to do another show. So, yeah, yeah I mean, find that I'm sort of I'm not schizophrenic by any means but I am like a, a split human where there's my stage style and there's my oh little girl I'm at home I don't want to speak to anybody <laughs> sort of thing so I mean do you reckon did your mum have a grand plan of what she wanted for you or oh, yeah. me to work in catering in the hotel industry yeah this wasn't it <laughs> 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 I mean she sees me on television and things like that and she'll go did you get paid for that and I'm like yeah mum it's my job and she'll be like 
oh um but i swear to god if i if i rang her up now and said i'm going to become a waitress she'd be like yes she's got <laughs> my dreams my dreams because <laughs> that's what she always worked in you see and yeah. she always said if you did get skills in the catering industry then you you know you could always have something to fall back on yeah which is true i think yeah. it's very if you are because i know a lot of people have just sort of quit their jobs and go oh, i'm gonna be a star overnight which you know that doesn't happen so it's always good to have a fallback for sure yeah so i mean what was the plan for when you left school obviously you did, you'd done all this this training um, yeah. so, i mean what was the plan what did you actually want to do when you when you left school well i decided that i didn't want to be in show business because it was even little kids are really bratty and spoiled and horrible and I, and, and, and it, it, it's that showbiz bitterness even it starts very young go I'm better than you know I'm better than you it's just like oh I don't like all that and um, I wanted to become an archaeologist <laughs> 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 no I look and this is going back to the antique dolls and stuff yeah, like that yeah and, yeah yeah and I was just like fascinated by old stuff and then my mum when I was quite young took me off to Egypt and things like that which was just fascinating digging up old ruins and I was just like, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to, and I, I had a metal detector as a kid and I was digging up my grandparents' back garden, which they hated. <laughs> Finding an old bottle top and stuff and thinking that I was going to find, you know, Roman coins, um, but never did. And, and then my mom went, well, you know, you have to go to school and study history and all these things. And, yeah. and then you have to go to university. And then I sort of looked into all that. And then I realized that, you're actually an antique yourself by the time you finish studying. <laughs> I can't be in school that long. That's going to take forever. And I'm still fascinated. I'm still got, I'm still part of our, um, like metal detecting groups on Facebook and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Do it, but I'm fascinated watching other people do it now. So yeah, I, I then I decided that um, I wasn't going to be an archaeologist because I thought you know 35 to me as a little kid was like ancient. Oh my god, I can't be 35 when I finish sort of studying and all this. And I was just like, that's incredible. And so um, as much as I'm really still interested in all that, obviously that went by the by. I think the only proper job that I got <laughs> was um, an air hostess. I was an air hostess. Oh wow! So I, I was an air hostess for five years, and um, fortunately. Well, I say fortunately, I had quite a few incidents uh, on on those flights, which again makes you a stronger person because yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was really good training for me to be a bit more and uh, a bit more not aggressive. I'm not. I don't fight anybody, but a bit. Give us some stories know. as well for later life, wouldn't it? You know. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, I, mean, I think I was the unluckiest air hostess in the world because <laughs> <laughs> I had people try to hijack my flights. I'd, so I'd stop somebody hijacking a flight at 38,000. Oh I got strangled by some mad woman on a flight back from Zurich. I got punched by football fans coming back from Santiago. In Sp- oh, you name it. I had decompressions. You name it. I was, uh, and then I thought, no, do you know what? I'm probably a bit safer on the ground. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would be, it'd be, it'd be some kind of disaster, not disaster, but sort of happening in the airlines uh, that would make the news or whatever. And everyone would go, I bet Charmaine was on that flight. <laughs> And I was like, I can't live like this. You know, I can't be like the, the air hostess of doom. <laughs> <laughs> so then I moved to America. And I, because of all my training, I had done, I kept, my, I kept my finger in with acting and done little hmm. bits. Here. But obviously then I sort of was air hostessing and whatever. Then I moved to America to become an actress. <laughs> As you do. As you do. And I did, uh, which was quite nice. And I got to do some some great TV stuff over there and um, met some fascinating people like George Foreman. 
Um, I met, I worked with him, um, not for his green grilling machine either. It was, <laughs> it was for his, um, oh, it was, I don't think it ever went very far, quite honestly, because it was disgusting. It was called, it was Shake for Life. And it was, it was meant to be a chocolate one that I was meant to be drinking on set and it tasted like bananas. It was disgusting. Um, but we were having to go, mm, yummy. Mm. And then George Foreman um, had this auto cue and he's reading all the, you know, and but messing it up all the time. And people on <laughs> the set were just going, come on. And just hours were going by and it was just, everyone could spill the tension on the set. And eventually he felt it too. And he just turned around and went, listen, when you've been punched in the head by Muhammad Ali, you can mess up your lines too. And I was like, ah, that's just genius. Uh, and everyone <laughs> laughed. It was like that was just brilliant. So that was that was a lovely little story to work with George Foreman on that, because um, he was a boxing legend as well. So oh, yeah. I mean, bizarrely enough, I did um, my first MC job as a boxing MC a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I'd never done before. And I was like, oh god! And they were asking me about my experience, and I said, oh, I've, I've never seen a boxing match. I really don't like violence. <laughs> and they like, and so you want this job because of the money. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah they were like oh but you know do you know anybody in the boxing world and I was just like I worked with George Foreman once oh and they were like what so you know I was like yeah but not in the boxing ring and not then that I'm name <laughs> guy who, uh, Fraser 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 oh Joe Fraser yeah met him and they were like but you've met two of the greatest boxers in the world how did you not know about boxing and I'm like Oh. <laughs> commercials boxing are two different things you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway I did boxing match and it was great fun that was so but yeah I mean so you've had a very strange from a child yeah very strange sort of series of events to get me to where I am today really yeah I mean from someone that's kind of obviously shied away from you know the spotlight I suppose you know how did the the break into comedy happen did that happen when you were in the states or when you happened came because home? I States actually um when I was over there I got married to an American and um that all went horribly wrong <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing it was just horrendous it was possibly the worst time of my life um you know for one minute I was living the American dream and we had a big house park our garage a pool and everything all the trappings that go with it and the next minute uh, I'm out on my ear he's kicked me out I've got a bag full of clothes and basically homeless and um, without getting into too much doom and gloom, it was just terrific. And ended up coming back to England, bag full of clothes and nothing. And um, it cut me off financially and everything. I just was a complete mess. Thank God for friends and their little box room I had to live in. So um, I'm hysterical. I'm crying all the time, as you are, you know, when mm. you go horses and stuff. It's not, not the best time of your life. And anyway, a friend was trying to get me out of my deep funk. And he said to me, when you're not crying, you're quite funny. <laughs> Um, and you ought to try doing stand-up comedy. And I was just like, I don't think so. I'm never going to laugh again. And, and, and he said, look, I'm putting on a show. It's like an open mic thing. And it'll be something great to get your mind off it. And either you'll have a lovely time and people will laugh at you or they won't. Um, but either way, it's got your mind off your yeah. woes. Ago. He said, you never know. If you're lucky, you might even make a bit of money from it one day. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't think uh, anyway, he went, no, I'm not having it. I'm not having any excuses. You're not going to let me down. You're going to do it. Anyway, I still have that footage somewhere of my first five minutes, um, which was lovely because so many friends came out to support me, which yeah, is yeah. great. Because now I've been doing it for so long, they don't come anymore. I'd just like to add that if anyone's listening. None of my friends <laughs> ever come to see me. <laughs> they came the first night and 10 years later, not. <laughs> they disowned you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
so anyway, yeah, I did the first five minutes and petrified. And you're, if, if, if I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to let anybody watch that video ten or eleven years ago, whenever it was. But I was talking so fast, and I didn't leave any you know uh, breaks for them to sort of laugh or clap yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was speaking like this. Oh, anyway, but anyway. I quite enjoyed it and I think you know it, well, it certainly did get my mind off my problems and it was cheaper than therapy <laughs> so I thought yeah this is good um, and I just carried on and, and, and then about six months later I was well I'd just been doing lots of open mic nights really and just I'd known a lot of acting and all that and how to do get agents and da, 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 but I knew nothing about comedy particularly at all unless you know I'd seen comedians on the telly and that kind of thing and then um, about six months after I'd done my first spot, I got asked to do the Leicester Square Theatre in, right. in Leicester Square yeah. with Joe Brand. And absolute I was like, legend, absolute legend. Legendary legend. I mean, I've got, and I was just like, how does this happen? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I've only been doing these awful jokes. I mean, looking back at them, they were truly awful. Mind you, probably some people would say that they still are to this day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, truly awful. Anyway. So I had to send a video off to Joe Brown's people to see whether I was acceptable wow. to be on the same stage kind of thing. Well, I'd forgotten that at the end of the clip that I'd sent, I put, if you've enjoyed me, I've been Charmaine Davis. If not, I've been Joe Brand. No. <laughs> and as I pressed the email to send it, I went, no, no, no. I just done. Oh no. <laughs> Anyway, bizarrely enough, I don't know whether they ever got to the end of that footage because I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they heard the end of my set. But anyway. Yeah, well, uh, maybe she watched it and she went, she's got some balls. I need to have Whatever <laughs> works, whatever gets me the job, that'll be good. But um, she ended up to be absolutely fabulous. It was uh, me, Steve First, uh, who was the MC, who, who was doing his character as Lenny Beige. Lenny Beige, yeah legendary character and uh joe brand me and i think rachel paris was on that uh on that show as well and it was lovely really really lovely i mean i do remember that of course well as always the trains were never running properly and then there was just it was a nightmare you know my first sort of west end show and i could the, the, the trains were like no we're not going to go any further I'm like, no so that was, of course, that had to add to the drama, didn't it? But anyway, it was all right on the night. It was absolutely fabulous. She's um, actually a patron of International Animal Rescue, which is a fabulous, fabulous charity. They do amazing work all around the world saving. They say they stopped all the dancing bears. Oh, cool. Uh, which was amazing because it's amazing what they do. They get these bears. They, they give the owner of the bear a new career. So they teach him how to do something else because if they oh. don't give him anything to do, then how's he going to earn his money? Because yeah, he hasn't yeah. got a bear. And then they get bear, the bear's teeth, they've all their teeth taken out. They give them false teeth. Um, they put them in these fabulous sanctuaries. Um, and they've just done such brilliant, brilliant work out there in India with the bears. And they go yeah. all over the world, saving just the, the orangutans. And so Joe Brown is a patron of that. Um, and to this day, she still is. And I think um, Bill Bailey was as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he, yeah, but they, they do great, great work. And I'll always support into that. It's one of the main charities that I do do for free because they do such brilliant work just rescuing and, and I prefer animals to humans most of the time <laughs> I think there's a joke there isn't there what do you call a bear with false teeth <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I love so every year I do do a, a thing for international animal rescue yeah 
and give up my time for free for that because I think it's such a brilliant cause and all the money does go to saving the animals and getting them um, places to you know sanctuaries and stuff like that and and and, and they do a great job and it's not one of these charities that will take 50% to buy themselves a beautiful house in the country yeah, yeah, yeah. so I like I like those sort of charities and I'll always do international animal rescue yeah I mean there must you must have felt something that first time you got up on stage you know a lot of people would have gone oh no I can't do this and then they would have gone off and been a bus driver or you know an air hostess or whatever you know yeah, I mean, there was obviously something clicked when you when you were on stage to to make you go back I always I mean I think I think it's a challenge. I think it's not necessarily an ego trip or a buzz or anything. It's like, can I do that again? Yeah. Because you make laugh, and it's almost like if I do it again, obviously all audiences are different. But I mean, there is a buzz and it's great. But what people have to remember is that when you go home, you know, you're just Charmaine again. It's it's it's, (laughs) it's it's a momentary. People go, oh, can I have my photograph taken with you or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, I can't bear egos in the business. There are too many egos. Yeah. And just because you're, you're only as good as your last gig, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Mm. And you may be fabulous and funny, but be nice to the people as well. When you, if, if they're taking the time to come up to you afterwards and say, oh, I really enjoyed the show. You can have a selfie or whatever. Just take the time out and yeah. be nice. Yeah. Well, I know people that I can't be talking to them afterwards. Well, they came to see you. Yeah, they paid to see you. Like, why would you not give them like thirty seconds? Yeah, or at least the, the ones that annoy me are the ones that go, "No, this this venue's unplayable." Well, have you played it? How do you know? And quite honestly, I think it makes you a better comedian. So sometimes, you know, not all gigs go to plan, and you might have, you know, it might be not the best venue in the world or whatever. But they're paying you, and you don't, you turn up, you do the best job you do as as you would in any job. I like to think yeah, yeah. if you're a waitress or a binman or a, a, I don't know a university lecturer you do the best job you do you turn up you get you're getting paid you don't you don't have a tantrum <laughs> exactly or that somebody wants to pay you yeah talk about venues there I mean have you gigged in any you must have gigged in some weird some weird bizarre venues over the years there are some promoters that will literally put on gigs in a ditch <laughs> <laughs> that... <laughs> not that I say that I have done a gig in a ditch um but, uh, oh gosh, um, I mean, there are some really, you know, back in the day when you're doing sort of pubs that haven't got a separate venue um, or a separate space, and then you've got some regular walking in and you're interrupting their beer and they just start shouting at you because it's like they're local and how dare you come in and tell jokes. Um, I used to do one on a boat. That was weird. <laughs> it was at Brighton Marina. In right, fact, it right. was I should remember this because I, it was a night I ran. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it was years ago. And there was this little boat that was at Brighton Marina. And they asked me to do a comedy night on it. So I was like, cool. And they said, you know, because it'll be during the summer. We can go out and just stop the boat out at sea. And we'll have a lovely show out at sea. And the sun will be shining. Well, this isn't the coast of Mexico. It's Brighton. <laughs> You know, their ideas are grand, but quite honestly, we probably have one sunny day a year down, you know, and, and it's not going to be the day that we picked for that boat trip, I'll tell you, because most of the time we turned up, booked the axe, they were all great, it's going to be really fabulous on a boat. Most of the time the weather was so bad that we couldn't actually leave the harbour to go out to sea because the boat was rocking so much. And then half the, the axe were getting seasick before we'd even left the harbour. Um, and it was, yeah, that didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> not a good gig is it where everyone's being sick over the side of the boat <laughs> in 
excellent. You could see them going, going, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'll be running this. And then there was a sort of mafia war of boats or something down Brighton Marina. And it, the, the other, another boat was like, get off our land or our. <laughs> and, and so they got banished suddenly. No. This boat, they had to go to Chichester or something with their little boat. I don't know. So yeah, they got they got pushed out of Brighton. Are <laughs> <laughs> oh, very elitist in Brighton, aren't they? You know, compared to where I'm from along the coast of Bognor. You know, well, I love a bit of Bognor though. Bognor's great. I like gigging in Bognor. Yeah, no, I saw you. At, we, you were at Feltham, I think, a few weeks ago. Yes, when I saw you. There's one just as you come out of the station. There's a couple of pubs around there that I've done mm. in the pub. I can't remember their name. They all blow into one of the. No, <laughs> I know. I'm the same, <laughs> and I lived there for <laughs> most of my life. You know. Fairly name let alone a pub name <laughs> turned up at the wrong venue the other day I've never done that in my life I'm always very um prepared and I get my journey prepared a few days before so I've yeah, got my, yeah. I'm, that's my air hostess way is sort of still coming out <laughs> everything prepared days before I have to yeah um and then the other day <laughs> I was told that I was kicking in this sports club in um Eastbourne and um and I thought oh I've been there before so I just turned up and I sat down, when I got to the bar and I said, oh, I'm the first one here, aren't I? I said, I've got here a bit early. She went, yeah, do you want a drink? And I thought, oh, she knows who I am. So she gave me a free Coke. And I said, I'll just wait over there till the others turn up. She went, okay, cool. And I sat down. <laughs> and about five minutes later, she comes over, the woman that by the bar, and she went, so are you with the band? Oh, and I went, no. no, I'm a comedian. She went, we've got no comedy on tonight. I went, no, but you do? She went, no, 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 we've got a band on tonight. I went, no, no, no. No, you've got a comedian on tonight. And I've got my phone out to show her the address. She went, yeah, that's not here. It's not here. And it was about, and I thought, oh, I can walk. It's all right. And I looked at Google Maps. It was an hour and a half walk away. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's the only time I've ever done that. So any potential promoters that are listening, that was a (laughs) (laughs) one-off. And I did get to my gig eventually. They got one of the other acts to come and pick me up. Oh yeah. my god! So, I mean, who would have been your your comedy inspirations? I mean, a lot of comedians are kind of like, you know, who would you have liked growing up? Were you a comedy fan growing up? Um, well, I always I mean, I'm going to talk about her in my set now. Oh, you might have heard me. I don't know if I did it when you saw me in Bognor, but I talk about Joan Rivers. Yes, Joan Rivers. Yeah. I was huge. I mean, huge to this day. She's still my hero. I mean, I think she would be turning in a grave, quite honestly, right now, if she knew what was going on with, you know, everyone being cancelled and being, you know, can't say that, can't do this. Oh, it's not a joke. Oh, well, it it really makes me so cross. And I think I speak on behalf of Joan Rivers, even though she's dead, you know, it's just a joke. Come on, you know, get over yourselves. Um, Because I remember she started her, I think the last Netflix special she did before she died uh, I always remember it right at the beginning you've got a man doing the announcement saying ladies and gentlemen if you've got any mobile phones electronic devices please ensure these are switched off um, the show will be blah 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 and if you are offended or easily upset and Joe Rivers just grabs his microphone and went oh just grow up it's just a joke <laughs> and the audience just starts laughing <laughs> But it's true. If you can't, you know, humour is different for so many people. Oh, definitely. I, there's some comedians I don't like, uh, but I won't go, oh, well, I don't like them. They must be cancelled. Oh, how offensive. I mean, offensive. When you say you're offended, what does that actually mean? It's an emotion that you can choose uh. or ignore. Comedy. It's not like I've just gone and killed your dog. 
yeah. in real life, is it? It's like yeah. you can it's on, but people can't. It's it's the it's the victimhood of oh, it's easily offended and all this. Don't go to comedy nights if you're easily offended. Is my advice. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why there's so many different comedians. Do you know what I mean? Because they cater for different sense of humour. Yeah. And that's what a lineup tries to do when you put on a show. You can't have everybody all sounding like, for example, Jimmy Carr, because that's really boring. You want to mix it up. You want to have your, you know, your Joe Browns, your Jimmy Carrs, your, your Charmaine Davises. <laughs> exactly. You know, different, different, different types. You want a musical act. You need to have the balance and something for everybody on the bill. And you might not like the opening act, but you might love the closing act. So, but yeah, people are just uh, very sensitive these days and I just think it's totally unnecessary. And a lot of people go, you know, I like you, Charmaine, because you, you speak your mind. And I said, well, what have I got to lose? I've got yeah, enough for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, do you think there is anything taboo in comedy now? Or do you think, as you say, it should be an open, you should be able to just speak your mind? I think it's funny when they go, oh, you know, you can't tell your mother-in-law jokes anymore because that's offensive to women. And it's just, I'll oh, grow up. You know, we've all got... <laughs> you know what I mean it's true yeah yeah we've all got somebody in our family we don't like I mean there's not one person on this earth I can tell you they go oh, I love every single member of my family and my mother-in-law is a diamond it's just you know and, and who is the comedy god to stop us and tell us what we can say I mean of course you know there are things that I uh topics for example that I personally myself wouldn't talk about um others might but oh. it's all done in you know we're not cult leaders. <laughs> yes. You know, you don't have to say what we say. And that's actually what that's one of my mum, <laughs> my things my mum, uh, she I don't invite her to my shows anymore because <laughs> she takes them all too literally, you know. So for example, oh, there's a the joke that I go, you know, I got stopped by the police the other day, blah, blah, blah. And then do and she'll go, Well, you didn't tell me you got stopped by the police. I'm like, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. You know, this is how literal people take things. You yeah. know, my mum take it so literally that I got stopped by the police then you know <laughs> I you know did a load of drugs I went oh she's a drug addict as well and it's like oh my god you know it's just, it's like do you go to the theatre and believe these people are really doing the things that they're doing yeah, you know it's yeah 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 of disbelief and it's entertainment it's not a David Attenborough documentary <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's the way that's why people have their favourite comedians because they know what they're gonna get do you know what I mean they know yeah. what they're gonna get when they go and see them yeah, I mean, I saw a perfectly, I mean, I'm not going to give you his set because that's not what us comedians do, but I saw a comedian the other day who opened on a really daring subject. Um, I can tell you what it was. It was about abortions. I'm not going to give you the whole joke. Right, and it's, right. It did get the audience, you could hear them going, getting a bit bristly going, but then he turned it to which they roared. So one minute you could feel the audience going, oh my God, where's this going? Yeah. And then he just turn it. And they were just literally crying. And then he, a bit later on, he did another bit that was a bit controversial. And again, it was getting their backs a bit bristly and you could hear the atmosphere changing. And then he did a callback to the beginning joke, which he got that, and that made them, and so it's like, it was just it was just brilliant the way he did it. And I think if it's done cleverly enough, yeah, and touch these, talk, uh, you know, talk about these subjects, uh, not as a doctor or a philosopher or whatever, but turn it. Because I think laughing in the face of adversity sometimes is all we can do. Mm, yeah, it's about mastering your craft, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you still, you're still learning oh, you as, don't a, as a comic, you know. You don't stop. And I, I actually like watching some of the old ones, like Lucille Ball. I mean, she wasn't specifically a stand-up, but she was really, mm. her comedy timing was, mm. and her facial expressions. And, she, you know, it's not just, that's why I say to a lot of comedians, it's not just about saying the lines. It's your facial expressions, it's your tone. 
it's what you do with your hand, your body movements to make that joke bigger and better and more more realistic, really. Yeah. And yeah. for hours in front of the mirror, she would say a certain line and try and get her face to to sort of mimic that line. And um, it's all about yeah timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you're you're based in Brighton. Um, yes. I mean, it must. It's such a great city for for comedy. You know, with the with the fringe and everything going on. And obviously you've got that accessibility to the to the West End and to London as well. Absolutely. Uh, do you enjoy Brighton as a city? I have a love-hate relationship with Brighton. I love it because I mean right now I'm talking to you, looking out my window, and I just see I can just see the sea. Um and it and it's beautiful. But then like on bank holidays and stuff like that. Now I don't object to people, you know, wanting to get out of London, get out of the city, get out of wherever to come to Brighton. Yeah, yeah. But it is like Armageddon. Bogner's <laughs> the same. I'm like, where have you come from? And you're not from this planet. And it's like a bunch of chavs going, oh, mate, yeah. It's like, oh, my God. It's like the missing link have just appeared in Brighton. Um, <laughs> a lovely time. But then I look at the beach and then there's like three tons of rubbish people have left behind. Yes. And then it's like down to our council taxpayers to sort that out. Because people, oh, there weren't any bins. Well, you bought it from home. You can take it home. You know, what am I, your mum? You know, <laughs> oh, there was, oh, there was another bin two yards down the road. You could have stuck it in that one. <laughs> yeah. I have a really love-hate relationship. I try not to leave the house at the weekends unless it's for a gig because Churchill Square is just oh, mayhem. Yeah. Um, and I like, oh, that's really pretentious. I love being in front of a crowd. Can't be in it. <laughs> It's like Fat Boy Slim's coming here. Uh, well, he lives in Brighton, but he's doing a concert on the beach later this month. Um, I'm leaving Brighton that day. <laughs> <Just something different. laughs> so on the beach, there were like, I don't know, 23, 24,000 people. No. Just people died. Um, I just hope it's better organised this time. And is he that current? <laughs> 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 because right about now was when that was that like in the 90s i know it's all about you know nostalgia now isn't it you know people wanting to recapture their their younger years and all that kind of stuff exactly that's why i drink a lot <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so let's talk a bit about your writing process do you have oh do you have a process do you are you like uh, would you take a notebook out with you do you make notes on your phone are you kind of observational? Would you just kind of... Oh, yeah, all of these. Work? Always, like all good comedians, um, generally have a notebook and pen in my bag when I leave the house, not just for my shopping list, but if something's on the, you know... Because the thing is, the thing is about comedians is that we'll think of the best joke in that. It generally happens when we're going to sleep. We think of the best joke in the whole world. It's the best joke in the whole world. And then we go, that's the best yeah. joke. Yeah. Don't forget it. We won't forget it. Because that, that was the... And then you wake up the next morning and go, what was that? No idea. So you always have to have that bed and paper by your bed in your handbag and take notes on your phone if if you haven't got any pen and paper around. Mind you, I'm just an old-fashioned girl. I like a pen and paper still, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Um, nothing wrong with a pen and paper. But then, you know, I, I do a lot of jokes about transport because, I mean, the people on buses and that are comedy gold. It's right, it's itself half the time. Listening into people's conversations on the bus. If you ever see me on a bus, I'd stop talking because I'm likely to write it down. <laughs> <You've> just... <laughs> She's there with her, with her notepad <laughs> sitting behind you. Voice memo up, just on my phone, recording the conversation. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, a lot of things that I do inspire me. Um, uh, you know, like I say, travelling, uh, that always inspires me. 
I have got a friend that I often come up with a joke that I think is really good. And he's, uh, uh, have you heard of Dave Thompson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And often I'll go, listen to this. I've written this. I think it's really good. And he'll go, yeah, but what you should say is this. I go, oh, that's genius. Why didn't I think? So it's nice to have a little friend. Yeah. And he comes up with a better, you know, pull back and reveal that I probably could or something. But um, no, like life in general. And that's what I've always done. I think since the start of it, when I was going through that horrible divorce um, and, and trying to make light of it. Um, and now, you know, the other day, for example, <laughs> the, the audience sometimes gets on board a little bit too much with you because I I do this whole section now about how I'm never going to get my own uh, Netflix comedy special. Yeah, yeah. And um, so and I said to the audience, oh, you know, I, 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 you know, I understand I am never going to get my own Netflix comedy special. But they started echoing me going, yeah, yeah but you might, you will. Don't you like <laughs> audience for you because then like take, again they take it very literally and I'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. this wasn't meant to be a TED talk you know <laughs> joke <laughs> it's gonna have a punchline and I'm not gonna cry myself to sleep over it it is fine <laughs> <laughs> and it's things like that then I can use that kind of thing in my next sort of set or whatever or, or that inspires me to write some stuff it's life life you know whatever it tries to throw at me then I try and go right well I'll just laugh about it yeah, I mean, do you try and write something every day? Are you kind of that disciplined or is it just a case of you'll take ideas whenever they come to you? I, I wish I could be one of those people because I've got so many comedy friends. That go, I'm just going to go down to Starbucks and write for the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Really? Are you? Are you? Or are you just going to be on Facebook all afternoon? Um, because I would love to have that discipline. But no, I don't. <laughs> it's really more inspirational. Like I, 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 you know, it might be talking about um, something I've seen on the television, like Joe Exotic and all that kind of stuff. In, in, and I try, what I try not to do is because I noticed that a lot of people in stand-up on the circuit now will start off by going, so then, how do we all cope with lockdown? Well, lockdown's been over like six months nearly <laughs> that. Like, well, not all of us can start with, how did you cope with lockdown? I want to talk about, let's talk about monkeypox, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be current. I'm talking about monkeypox. <laughs> COVID so last year. Oh man, I'm on the next virus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I don't like to start. I, I sort of watch other comedians and go right. Well, everyone's talking about that. They're talking about. And don't get me wrong, I do talk about internet dating. I think all comedians do at some point. Um, I don't make it the be all and end all of it. Although I'm not, you know, and, and, and men. I don't know why they have this thing. Oh, I bet you just talk about women's problems, don't you? No, I'm probably one of the women that don't talk about women's problems. <laughs> I've got enough problems. I don't want to bring them on stage. Oh, you don't even like talking about it, let alone joking about it. Oh, man. <laughs> Not exactly. I know, I know men, the, the, you're suddenly split half the room because men don't want to hear about that. <laughs> They're going, oh, awkward. You know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there are some sort of subjects I do stay away from or if they are a lot on the circuit then I'm like oh, I'm not going to be talking about that or writing jokes about that because that seems to be everybody's doing it I like to be um you know stand out from the crowd <laughs> exactly so I mean if there's if we've got anyone listening that is trying to break onto the stand-up scene what kind yeah. of advice from your own kind of experiences what advice would you give to anybody that's looking to break into stand-up um don't well it's the most petrifying thing you can do First of all, and you should be, you know, if you're thinking about it, be really proud of yourself that you're even considering it because, you know, as an actress, you're on stage with other people. And mm. so if you do line or whatever, 
uh, they can sometimes help you, you know, improvise or whatever. But when you're standing alone on your stage and you've got a whole room full of people, it is, it's intimidating, it's scary, especially when you first start. And I'm not saying that the nerves don't go, I still get really nervous to this day. But um, I think go and do as many open mic nights as you can. Join Facebook groups in your local area that might have, um, yeah, open mic nights. Like there are loads in Brighton, so mm. you can just... But don't try and join the clique. Yeah, because yeah. Because so many people are part of the clique. Don't be part of the clique. You want to stand alone. Yeah, Go you on. want to be you rather than a copy of somebody else. Yeah, and and it, it can be very clicky in some little comedy groups and they go oh, but I'm not part of it I'm not there there's all this stuff and they'll book each other and, and it's like well there's millions of gigs out there so once you know you've done you you can confident with you've got your first five minutes and then it leads to a 10 minutes and then it does leads to 15 yeah, yeah. minutes you start building up go further afield you know if you've got transport great or have to get a train then try other open mic nights in other places other people will see you you know and don't be frightened of rejection because that is show business I'll still apply for gigs now and you don't hear anything. And it's not any, well, sometimes it's personal. <laughs> but um, most of the time, it's nothing personal. A, you know, they might already have somebody on the lineup that's like me. Um, or, you know, they don't think my uh, subject matter or whatever is suitable for that night, whatever. Promoters have to, you know, if, they, if they've got half a mind, they will oh. get a mind. And then, you know, so you can't always be picked. And rejection is show business. But when you do get picked, it's like, oh my God, they want me. Um, but yeah, just don't get an ego. Don't be, get, don't be getting an ego because reputation gets round and people go, oh yeah, I know her. She's got a mouth like a... Um, and, but just, yeah, practice, practice, practice. Whatever, even if it's not funny and you think of something, just write it down because it might lead to something later on. People look at them, leave it and go, what was that all about? Mm. And go, oh, I could change it to this. And then... So just write everything down, everything down. You know, don't expect to get laughs all the time because especially when you first start, it, it's very difficult. You know, I would say, so, I mean, yeah. there are a few people that just take to stand up like they were born to it and you hate those people. <laughs> <laughs> if you can go on comedy courses, um, I would ask advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ask if they've been on comedy courses which ones would they um recommend because there are some out there i would say that probably aren't going to teach you that much i mean there are other courses out there that are absolutely brilliant and they'll they'll teach you how to write they'll teach you um stage presence and mm. get your and all that kind of stuff and because it's, it's, it's a minefield because you just watch these people on television and a lot of people actually when they see your show just think you're making it up as you go along <laughs> but, but, yeah you're just brilliant. Are you really clever? I this one woman going, you must be really clever. I went, what are you talking about? She went, but you're just so quick. You're just so quick and funny. And I was thinking, you have no idea how long I've been practicing what that. What goes on beforehand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just go, yeah, thanks. Thanks very I much. I just get on stage and, you know. Just... Yeah. The natural. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, 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 yeah, it's a scary, scary thing to start doing stand-up. I remember when I first did it. And then it's almost like a, a, a drug. I think a lot of comedians will yeah. go, it's like a and they have to keep doing it. And then they'll sort of go into retirement and then they'll come back again. And... <laughs> it's like taking that first step, isn't it? You know, it is. It was like anything, you know, even if your first job. Um, yeah, yeah. You're going to be nervous. You might not have to talk to a thousand people on a stage or whatever, but, you know, anywhere you go, you'll be nervous. And the nerves won't necessarily go, but it will get easier. The more confidence and the more experience you get, um, the easier it will be. 
yeah yeah i think if you're if you're not nervous then you're not human do you know what i mean the amount of stand-ups i've spoken to some some big big names and they're still absolutely bricking it before they step oh, no, on stage how, you know oh i i get especially if it's a new that i've not done before as well yeah. or yeah yeah world or country that i've not gigged in before you know uh, you just don't know what to expect and i always blame the audience if i'm rubbish no i'm joking <laughs> No, I have said it before. I have said it before. I said, look, I said, I've said to the audience, you know, just as much as you're looking at me, judging me, I'm looking at you, judging you. So. I'm sorry, you're a crap. Yeah. You're a crap audience and I'm a crap act. Fair enough. <laughs> you want the winner. Uh, <clears throat> but no, I, I, I do enjoy it. And sometimes I do think, right, that's it. I'm, I'm never going to do stand up again. I've had enough. Yeah. And then you get a phone call going, oh, do you want to do this gig at the weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, All right, then. Twist my bendy arm. So yeah, no, it. I do have a like Brighton. I have a love hate relationship with Brighton. I have a love hate relationship with comedy, <laughs> but um, I don't think I'll be stopping anytime soon, which is possibly what people don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like you do, you do a lot of MCing, so I mean that must be quite nice. You know, you're kind of you're bringing all these act, all these acts together, kind of thing. No, yeah, I mean, I like MCing because you can freestyle a little bit more as well, um, and you. I love. I actually, a lot of people find it really, really scary. But I do love doing the audience interaction bit and talking to the public. I love it. I love it. Um, I don't have any fear of that, bizarrely enough, which you yeah. think would be the scariest thing. Yeah. I have more fear just standing there going, oh, and a funny thing happened to me on the way to the bus stop or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's always characters, isn't there, in the crowd, all the, with the audience. Even when I saw you in Felford, there were some, there were one or two people that were literally, you know, getting involved yeah. through the whole, through yeah. the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, you've always got the people that sit in the back row that don't want to be spoken to. Um, so you have to speak to them, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're hiding at the back. You can't get away that easy. Um, but no, I, I love emceeing. I do like emceeing a lot, actually. But then that, that is pressure as well, because obviously you've got to get the audience laughing and in that uplifted mood. Yeah, yeah. Ready for the next act. Yeah. And should that act not go down particularly well, you got to then try and get them back up again before the next act and it's just like oh no and you so you just pray as an MC that every act's going to smash it (laughs) 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 much hard work to do you're like and for the next act (laughs) (laughs) please laugh (laughs) exactly um it does mean though as an MC you have to be there all night you can't just turn up do your spot and go home again Um, but no, I love, I do love emceeing, and I think that's what really what I'm known for. Yeah. So another another big part of this podcast is music. So let's talk a bit about music now. Have there been any big music loves in your life, be it a band or an artist? Well, when I was younger, I was. A huge fan of Duran Duran, Duran Duran. Oh my God, Duran Duran. Nick Rhodes was my first crush, I think. Who then? Uh, I thought that was John Taylor, actually. I thought because I got a bit confused. I was young and stupid and thought Nick Rhodes was John Taylor. And then when somebody went, no, 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 Nick Rhodes wears the makeup. John Taylor's got the dark hair. I was like, oh, it's John Taylor. I fancy then. Right, right. No, it's not. <laughs> they did look kind of similar, in fairness. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and I watched a documentary about them just recently, actually. They haven't changed much, actually. They, they still look the same. John Taylor, they did have him on some sort of fo- soft focus, though, I think, to make him look younger than he was. 
but they didn't look bad for their age, quite honestly. Um, so yeah, Duran Duran were huge. I love Duran Duran. And um, I've always, I've worked in radio a lot and always been a sidekick for like uh, breakfast shows and stuff like that for Radio FM and, and Source and um, got loads of different radio stations. And then during lockdown, I got asked if I wanted to do my own radio show, which was brilliant because I thought I just play everything that I like. Yeah, you know, it's me, it's my show, my music. Um, so it was great because a lot of the old 80s stuff um, I was playing, Heaven 17, Temptation is possibly my favourite mm. anthem sort of song. Yeah, tune. Well, in fact, some um, somebody messaged me yesterday from a radio station saying that they loved my Adele impression and <laughs> they were playing Adele right then on their radio show. And I went, well, that's that's great. And thank you for liking my Adele impression, but I'm not really a fan <laughs> of Adele. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he was like, oh, so, you know, should I play you a song? All right. So it was 7.17 yesterday, Temptation. So that was really nice. I listened to that and then it was blessing me got them he plugged my uh, YouTube channel and I got a few more followers so blessing for that uh, even though I didn't like Adele uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love an impression of Adele she was the first um, impression that I did I mean I it, during lockdown I was doing loads but it was only when I did the Adele one that that became viral um, when she did that Vegas thing and she went my show ain't ready and then I did a whole <laughs> that um and that was, went mad. And then just lately, I've got my Amber Heard uh, reels when I was taking the mickey out of Amber Heard. And they, they was going, I mean, 800 shares, you know, thousands of followers. I mean, it was just insane. And I thought, God, everybody really does hate, hate Amber Heard, don't they? <laughs> my impressions aren't that good. And they're shared millions. I mean, it was just incredible. So, and I got shouted at down the street the other day, oh, Amber Heard, we love your impressions. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> media madness. Um, but going back to music, so Drag Nick Kershaw, do you remember him? Yeah, they're all the still they're all still gigging, aren't they? You know, the other nostalgia thing. Yeah, it's all over they're all over the place. I think all their record labels ripped them off back in the 80s. So that's why they've got a very good friend of mine. Do you remember Hazel O'Connor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a good friend. In fact, unfortunately, she's been quite ill actually. Um, she had a really bad stroke and she's um she's on recovery at the moment. So that's quite she was didn't get found for two days. It was absolutely oh tragic. God. Yeah, but she's slowly being meant because she was meant to be on tour right now with yeah. um Hoya. Um, but they had to get a replacement for her, bless her. But all, all Hazel O'Connor's music um was great. You know, I was actually quite young when Hazel O'Connor was out and she she asked me a while ago, you know, how old were you when Decadent Days came out? And I told her and she went, I hate you so much. Only <laughs> about six or something ridiculous. And I was like, I was, I was dancing around the front room going, these are decadent days. Hazel <laughs> O'Connor. Uh, but no, she was brilliant and um, brilliant musician, brilliant singer, wrote all her own songs and everything. But she was ripped off back in the 80s and mm. you know, the record labels ripped them all off, you know, you'll get 5% of everything that you make and then they get the rest. So that's why so many of them still have to tour. Yeah. Because they got ripped off. So let, let that be a lesson to you. Always read, <laughs> <laughs> Always read the small print, kids. It's good, you know, bands that we couldn't have seen when we were when we were kids are now touring again and you can kind of really, you, know, you can finally go and see your favourite band. Well, they might be, you know, obviously they're like 30, 30 odd years older. <laughs> Paul Young, he's still going, but he looks a bit rough, doesn't he? Blimey. <laughs> um, but he was in Brighton the other day, and I was like, oh. um, But no, you know, classic music from back in the day. And um, 
do you remember um oh my god who sang i'm never going to remember the name now i tell you who i used to hate though while i'm thinking of that uh human league never really liked the human wow. league wow wow didn't like league. i always found him a bit creepy don't you think? <laughs> I, don't know why I found him so creepy but i just found that whole i think um, it was the, it might be, maybe it was the fringe yeah maybe but i just found that whole you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar which is a bit creepy really do you know what i mean i just <laughs> even there, didn't like that. oh what was it oh god what was the other heaven 17 one it was a bit come live with me kiss the boys goodbye you was i was 37 you were 17 or something it was i was 37 you were 17 you were half my age the youth i've never seen i'm like <laughs> <laughs> But you still love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Temptation was the best one, though. That was just the best song. Because it had that bit of opera and stuff and really... And I just thought it was very clever. I like that. Malcolm McLaren, he was a good one. Yeah. Favourite album was Vogue. Was it called Vogue? In the Botswana Orchestra. Do you remember that one? It was before Madonna doing her Vogue. Right, right. She, okay. He stole all that nonsense. Best album ever. Deep in Vogue, it was called. Um, and he was um, doing all that Madonna stuff way before Madonna, but she stole it. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> uh, Madonna. <laughs> but yeah, but that was my favorite, one of my favorite albums. Uh, and, and they had songs on that like Alge's awfully good at algebra. Don't like them like they used to, like I say. <laughs> um, Deep in Vogue was another one on it, of course. Um, House of the Blue Danube. So it was the Blue Danube, but it was made a bit housey. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was, yeah, yeah, that was a brilliant, brilliant, probably one of my favourite. And Paul, who's got me on a roll now, Paul Simon. Yeah, yeah. Graceland's. Oh, what an amazing album that was. I could listen to that all day, that one. Yeah, such great venues in Brighton as well. You know, like the, the, the amount, of, amount of gigs I went to at the Brighton Centre over the years. Is just... Yeah, well, do you know what? I think because the, I was going to say the Olympics, it's not the Olympics, is it? It's the Eurovision Song Contest. That's meant to be because of the Ukraine one, it didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, they have it there because of the war. Well, yeah. Um, so they're going to have it in England, uh, apparently, next year. And I think Brighton's, you know, up for having it again because that's where ABBA won. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can you imagine what it's going to be like? Yeah, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be crazy. But I think a lot of a lot of places are up for the tender of uh, the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, Brighton's got to win it, though, isn't it? You know, they should do. It'll be Brighton's great. A strong contender. Well, you've got just up the road here. You've got the old um, Brighton Centre, and then you've got the Corn Exchange up the road. And yeah, we get some great. We get some. Um, yeah, get some great acts up here. Do, quite honestly, um, I haven't. I can't remember the last band I saw. Yeah, I was going to say, do you get to go to any gigs if you're obviously if you're you're gigging at night in the evenings and stuff, especially weekends? Yeah. I don't really get to. Um, no, I haven't seen a band for years. That's bad, isn't it? Bad. Well, the thing is, that's my excuse, isn't it? I'm gigging every night. I can't be seeing bands at the same time. I can't. <laughs> what's the thing? You got to pay the rent. It's either pay the rent or go and see go and see yeah. ABC. I thought I did see. Um, at the bright oh no i tell you what i did see a while ago <laughs> olivia newton john oh wow yeah she was great singing xanadu <laughs> <laughs> it was great all the drag queens in the audience all dressed up like olivia newton john <laughs> oh my god where was that brighton, brighton center yeah yeah 
Yeah, I say, let's get physical. <laughs> Great. I just wanted bloody, what's his name? John Travolta to turn up. That'd be <laughs> not singing, you're the one that I want, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's aged as well. He hasn't aged as well as he is. Uh... I think being a Scientology member, they, they could do something about his hair. <laughs> They've made Tom Cruise look amazing and he's 60. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. You'd think, you know, he's got the money to. Yeah, but what it is, is Tom Cruise is higher up the Scientology old ladder, isn't he, I think. <laughs> do you reckon that's what it is? <laughs> he's like the chief cult leader of Scientology. I can't, I shouldn't say this, they'll be honest <laughs> So that, I want to actually do a comedy show about Scientology and I've been told that it's possibly not a wise thing to do because they'll be after me. And I went, what brilliant publicity though. <laughs> <laughs> the comedian, comedian hunted down by Scientologists. Because I, I read the book Dianetic, Dianetics book. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah. And I remember when I actually bought the book, somebody, some women started going mad. I mean, you know, it's like buying, I'm not comparing it to the Bible, don't get me wrong but it's you know if I bought the bible I wouldn't want somebody having a go at me going do you know what's in that book it's a book I just want to read it I'm not going to be suddenly become you know a born again Christian just because I'm reading the bible the same as with Dianetics this woman's going you, you're going to turn into a Scientologist and I went no 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 I'm not I'm just want to read it because I think if you've got knowledge about something then you can have an opinion but until you've actually sort of researched something you can't go well they're all lunatics or lizards so, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was written by, by science fiction writer Elvon Hubbard. I mean, yeah, yeah. how much proof do you need that this is nonsense? <laughs> well, there's but money that, in it. There's money in it, though, isn't there? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, cra- it's ridiculous. And that's with any religion. Do you know what I mean? The church is one of the richest establishments in the country. Scientology yeah. is one of the richest establishments. And they're all so-called religions because they're not going to be... Scientologists aren't going to be called a cult. They don't like being called a cult, you know. I could, yeah. If you never see if anybody, you know, if, you, if I suddenly go missing after this podcast, <laughs> we'll, we'll track down the Scientologists because <laughs> they've, they've kidnapped you. They'll be after me and Louis Farouk and we'll both be in hiding together. <laughs> I was in LA a couple of years ago and their, their buildings are in Hollywood. Their buildings are huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a celebrity building, isn't it? The celebrity Scientologist building. Um, and I'm, I, I'm fascinated by it. I would love to not join it. I just want to do my research so I can start my own cult. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call it? I think I'd call it uh, uh, the natural born sinners. <laughs> are all born to sin. And I think, you know, we'd all, everyone would be welcome then. And uh, I would be your money, but you just bring me chocolate and that'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Get paid in chocolate. <laughs> homage to the chocolate gods <laughs> you, you, you could be the new Willy Wonka <laughs> there you go there we go I think that work I think with all the doom and gloom we've got these days I think yeah there we go thanks to your podcast I'm starting a new cult ladies like to... <laughs> there you go fans. Uh, you, you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be the new Tom Cruise Brighton woman starts cults <laughs> <laughs> She got so bored, she actually started a cult. (laughs) (laughs) There aren't enough female cult leaders. You never hear of a female cult leader, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks so much for chatting with me today, Charmaine. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for letting me waffle on. (laughs) 